0: amen lord we thank you that that's not just a desire that we have but it's a promise from you that one day we will see you face to face and we'll spend eternity around your throne worshiping and magnifying and lifting up your name we thank you that you loved us so much that you'd rather die than live without us lord i pray right now as we go to this time of the in the word that you would be our teacher soften every heart that's here we're desperate for you. Without you, we can do nothing. We just ask that man would decrease, that your spirit would increase, that you would be glorified. In Jesus' name we pray, and all God's people said, Amen. 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 Grab a seat. If you don't have a Bible, raise your hand, because you're going to need one. This is a Bible study, so you know, read the book, don't wait for the movie, right? Amen. So, if you have your Bible, turn to Numbers chapter 22. It's good having you here. If it's your first time here, I hope you feel welcomed and loved. Here at Calvary Chapel, we don't have membership, you show up, you're part of the family, we got Jesus in common, we got everything in common, amen? So we're continuing our verse by verse study through the Old Testament, again, Numbers 22, if you need a Bible, raise your hand, and if you want to take that Bible home, feel free, it's our gift to you. Let me catch you up real quick, I won't spend a lot of time on it, but, you know, we go verse by verse through the Bible for a reason. We started in Genesis on Wednesday nights, when we started the church, we started in Matthew, if you're, if you're not coming on Sundays, we're going verse by verse to the New Testament on Sunday. We'll be in Romans chapter 6 on Sunday. That's your homework assignment, okay? Read that for Sunday. And as you start in Genesis, you see the sinfulness of man and that man chose to sin and man fell away from God. And because of the sinfulness of man, man was separated from God. That's why Jesus had to come. We get to Exodus and we see in Exodus that, that the children of Israel were put into bondage because of their disobedience, and rebellion against God. And that, that bondage lasted for 400 years. We know they cried out, God sent a deliverer by the name of Moses, and God delivered them out of bondage. Then we get to the book of Leviticus. As you, those of you who were here, we saw the sacrificial system. And what's awesome about Leviticus and, and even Exodus as well is when you look at the tabernacle and you look at the sacrificial system, every sacrifice and every piece of furniture in the tabernacle points to, to Jesus. Every bit of it. It's all about Christ. You look at every page in the Old Testament, you're going to see Jesus. History truly is his story, and if you look in the Bible, every page is going to point to him. So we come to Numbers and I told you that Numbers is kind of a gets a bad rap. You know, you tell people you're going through Numbers, they go, "Oh, really? When are you going to finish that up? I'll come back," right? I mean, Numbers, you think that we're going to read a bunch of genealogies, but the reality is, it's called Numbers because the children of Israel are numbered twice in the book, but it should be called In the Wilderness. Because the book of Numbers is all about the 40 year span of time that the children of Israel wandered in the wilderness. Where an 11 day journey turned into a 40 year death march because of their disobedience before God. Remember they put, God had them in a tabernacle and the tabernacle was in the shape of what? The the, The camp was in the shape of a cross. And they were headed to the land of promise in temporary tents, God's glory dwelling with them. We've talked about the fact that that's a picture of us today living in these temporary tents, these bodies of ours, headed to the land of promise. They had the the Shekinah glory of God dwelling in the tabernacle. We have the Holy Spirit living inside of us. And so we see in Numbers, as God the Father would look down on His his people, it was a cross that was moving through the wilderness. Now we've seen that they, they were, because of their disobedience, they were supposed to go into the land of Canaan, and when they got to the doorstep of Canaan, they chickened out. And if you remember what they said, hey man, there's giants in the land. Now God had told them, that land's yours, it belongs to you. And they wimped out and didn't go in. What did they do instead? They sent what in first? They sent spies in. The spies came back and said, we're like grasshoppers. They're going to squash us like bugs, except Joshua and Caleb said, we can go in. Well, they denied God and we know what happened. 40 year death march. That entire generation passed away. Now last week, we finally got to the end of that 40 years and now they truly are headed to Canaan. And we know that Miriam has died, and Aaron has died, and Moses, because he smote the rock as we saw a few weeks ago, is not going to enter into the land of promise. And now we're coming to that, to that place, and they're headed towards Canaan, as we saw last week, a picture of victorious... Christian living and I won't go into the details. Get the tape. Tapes are free. Help yourself. But we saw that the key to the victory in battle, and we saw the example as these guys were headed to the land of promise, that they used the sword, that the Spirit directed them, that they had hearts to worship. And the same is true for us as Christians. You want to have a victorious Christian walk? If you're struggling with the Lord, you need to spend more time in his word. You need to spend more time worshiping him. I've said this before. When you get to heaven, one of the few things you do on earth you're gonna do in heaven is what? worship you're not going to read the Bible in heaven because Jesus is going to be there amen and he is the word we're not going to evangelize because everybody's already saved amen so when we get to heaven we will worship so you want to taste of heaven worship and we saw them last week worshiping and we saw even though they were faithless that they began to be victorious and they had victory over the Canaanites and then they had victory over the Amorites and then they had the victory over Og and Bashan and why because they began to trust God and they began to step out so that brings us to this week And they've been victorious, and now they're going to have yet another situation, and we're going to learn about a new guy tonight, a guy that most of you have probably heard of. He's a man by the name of Balaam, and I titled the message tonight, Seeking God's Perfect Will. Now this is something that I know almost every Christian I've ever met struggles with at some point. What is God's will for my life? What does God want me to do? What is the next step? Where am I supposed to be doing? What kind of career am I supposed to have? You know, if you're younger, who am I supposed to marry? Those kinds of things. And you're praying about, what what is God's plan for my life? We're going to see a picture of that tonight. And too often as Christians, we make plans for our lives. We pursue them without ever really considering if it's God's perfect will or simply our desires. When we do seek the Lord's input, it's often permission for decisions we've already made. Right? You make a decision, you go do it, Lord bless this. Right? Right? Now, am I the only one that's done that? Right? You don't know I'm talking And so often, we make plans. I've heard, I've heard Christians tell me a 10-year plan. I'm listening for 20 minutes about their 10-year plan, and I'm like, and God's wearing this. It needs to be God's 10-year plan. Amen? And we need to be faithful day by day. And tonight and over the next several weeks, we're going to look closely at this man by the name of Balaam. His name means devour. He's a Gentile, the son of Beor from the, a Mesopotamian city. He's spoken of throughout the Bible. It's amazing. This guy is spoken of in Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Nehemiah, Micah, Peter, Jude, and Revelation. He's spoken of more than Mary, the mother of Jesus, Balaam. And you know what? You can read all about this guy, and he's almost as big a mystery when you're done as when you start. Because he's kind of like, he reminds me a little bit of Saul. You know, King Saul. King Saul. King Saul was a man that was anointed by God to be king of Israel, but he rebelled against God, and before his life was over, he was hanging out with a witch, right? He goes and he's getting counsel from a witch. You're like, what, dude, something happened to you, right? And the reality is, Balaam kind of is like that. You know, you get, there, you'll get different people saying different things about him, and we'll look at him in detail. We're so too. We're, as we look at Balaam, we're going to see that he was a man of reputation. But you know what, his reputation wasn't good. He was known to be a diviner. One who received hidden knowledge, especially about the future. A man who used sorcery and enchantments and incantations, who had occult power, and probably, again, was a a priest diviner, spoken of in ancient writings. He specialized in seeing the future. Now, check this out. He specialized in seeing the future by looking at entrails. Now, who thought of that first? That's what I want to know. Let's cut an animal up and lay its entrails out. We'll see the future in the entrails. Okay, but you know, isn't it sad what people will believe rather than just believe God's Word? Amen? Isn't it amazing the, 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 the depths people will go to rather than trusting the Lord? And we're going to see God, but at the same time, this guy's a diviner, and he's into sorcery, but God's going to speak through him. And you know, you read that the first time, and you go, man, this, I don't understand this. We'll talk about that as well. It says in, in chapter 24, verse 2, that the Spirit of God was upon him. And again, some have said he was a believer and a prophet and a follower of God, and others say this guy did not know God, but was simply used by God because he was the one that God wanted to use. Not the Holy Spirit coming upon... Now, understand this too. It says the Holy Spirit came upon him. We're almost to the text, I promise. It says the Holy Spirit came upon him. I want you to understand something. In the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit coming upon somebody was different than the New Testament. In the Old Testament, God would give the Holy Spirit to men and women For a specific task. Remember David sang a song, Take not thy Holy Spirit from me. God would pour out His Holy Spirit upon them for a specific task. The Holy Spirit didn't come upon all believers until the book of Acts. Right? And that was the evidence of salvation. They were waiting for the coming Messiah, and so the Holy Spirit came upon him, but it does not necessarily mean that he was a believer because we see the Spirit coming upon many who were not. Balaam is referred to again, not as a prophet anywhere in the Old Testament. Only once is he referred to as a prophet, and it's by Peter. And and if you look in the original language, it's kind of in a derogatory fashion. So, in the end of Balaam's true Moses, we're going to see his heart, and we're going to see that before it's over, he's going to die. He's going to be slain by the children of Israel. Now, it says this, I want you to hear this, and then we'll look at the text. It says, in 2 Peter, in speaking of depravity and wickedness, they have forsaken the right way and gone astray following the way of Balaam. What is the way of Balaam? It's in, it's in 2 Peter. In Jude 1.11, speaking of apostates or false teachers, it says they have run greedily in the error of Balaam. You know, that's not good when they're, it's the way of Balaam and the error of Balaam. It's not good. You know, if they start talking the way of Dave and they're talking about like an adulterer, you don't want that by your name, right? But the way of Balaam is the way of dishonesty, the way of ungodliness. And later, speaking of the church at Pergamos, it says again, but I have few things against you because you have there who hold to the doctrine of Balaam who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the children of Israel. So you see the way of Balaam, the error of Balaam, the doctor of Balaam. So he's an infamous guy, but he's infamous for ungodliness. So let's begin and take a look here. And we're going to go through and look at God's perfect will. How do we see God's perfect will as we're looking at this guy, Balaam? Amen. Again, remember, that as we look at this man, that there's examples and things we can learn from him. Things that He does that we can pattern and things that He does that we should not do at all. So let's begin seeking God's perfect will and begin by looking at this man by the name of Balak who fears Israel. Look at verse 1. Then the children of Israel moved and camped in the plains of Moab in the side of the Jordan across from Jericho. Now those of you who just went to Israel with us, we were in this very region. It's It's a dust bowl. It's by the Dead Sea. There's not a whole lot there. Moab is no longer there because the Moabites were smoked by the Amorites. Remember the song last week that was sang? The Amorites were singing a song about how they defeated the Moabites. And the Moabites had to retreat up into the hills. And so now the, the children of Israel have, destroyed, have defeated the Amorites, and now they're in the plain of Moab. Now the Moabites, understand, are related to Lot. Lot was, who was Lot's uncle? Abraham. So that means that these guys are distant cousins. The children of Israel and the Moabites are distant cousins. And we know that in Deuteronomy, God had told the children of Israel not to harm the Moabites because they were family. Don't harm them. Don't touch them. Well, there's a man here by the name, it says there, of Balak. It says in verse 2, Now Balak, the son of Zippor, saw the children, what the children of Israel had done to the Amorites, and Moab was exceedingly afraid of the people because there were many And Moab was sick with dread because of the children of Israel. Now, isn't this interesting? Because God is now moving mightily through them, people are afraid of the children of Israel. Remember the children of Israel were afraid of the giants in the land. Remember that? They ran away from them because they were doing things in the flesh. Now being led by the Spirit, the world around them is afraid of them. And they come into into this plain of Moab, and Balak is the, the king, and he looks out and he sees them. Now, Balak means empty or spoiler, or waster. And the Moabites had been driven out. They'd already been defeated. And the people that had defeated them were the Amorites. Now, who did Israel just defeat? The Amorites. So, you know, the Amorites just got, just got whooped. And the, and the Amorites had whipped them so they knew we're in trouble. We couldn't take on the Amorites. They drove us into the mountains and now these guys who defeated them are at, our foot, at, at, you know, at the foothills. We're in trouble. If they come in here, they're going to kill us. And so because of that, you see that Moab has great dread. They're sick, it even says there. And these descendants of Lot's, these cousins of the Israelites, again, sadly, they, they should have gone to their, to their cousins, right? You see them in the foothills, they should have gone out to them and said, hey, you know what brings you here? And they should have, when they saw God's hand moving mightily in somebody's life, instead of cursing them and being afraid of them, they should have ran to them. But sadly, they're going to be afraid. And because they're afraid, they're going to turn in the wrong direction. Now we know that the Moabites had become idol worshippers. They worshipped a a god called Kamesh, and also they worshipped Baal. They even offered human sacrifices to these false gods, these idols. And because they had no relationship with the true and living God, they were ruled by their circumstances, and because of that, they were afraid. You know, the Bible says that God has not given us a spirit of fear. As Christians, we don't have to be afraid. When we're afraid, we're saying God's not in control. Is God in control of everything? Yes, He is. So we have nothing to fear. God has not given us the spirit of fear. But these guys who wound up in their circumstances, they see the children of Israel coming, as many as two million people camped, and they look down, and now they're pulling the same thing that the children of Israel had said when they went into Canaan. Look at all the people. They're going to squash us. Instead of going to them and wanting to hear more about this God they served, this God who brought them victory, they turned from the true and living God, the God of their father Lot, and instead they had turned to these false idols. God they didn't know or believe in was actually protecting them because you know what? He told the children of Israel not to harm them. They didn't believe in God. They didn't know the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They had turned their back from Him. Verse 4. So Moab said to the elders of Midian, Now this company will look up everything around us as an ox looks up the grass of the field. And Balak the son of Zippor was king of the Moabites at that time. Now the Midianites, who was the priest of the Midianites? Bonus question here. Who knows this? Jethro. Who is Jethro's nephew? Or son-in-law, excuse me. Moses. Who's still hanging with these people? He's not dead yet, right? So Moses is here. The Midianites are literally, Jethro was the priest of the Midianites, so the Midianites are there with the Moabites. Now you would think that they would go down and, you know, Jethro, hey, that's my son-in-law, right? And there should have been some, again, familiarity and a desire to go down, and instead they join with the Moabites and they're all afraid together. And they don't know what to do, and they don't know where to turn, and so sadly, they turn the wrong way. Look at verse 5. Then he sent messengers to Balaam, the son of Beor. And it's funny, his name should be the son of Eor because he rides a donkey later that talks to him, so I just thought that was... So the son of Beor... I got kids. What can I tell you? And it says here, At Pathor, which is near the river of the land of the sons of the people, to call him, saying, Look, a people has come from Egypt. See, they cover the face of the earth, and they're settling next to me. Therefore, please come at once. Curse this people for me, for they are too mighty for me. Perhaps I shall be able to defeat them and drive them out of the land, for I know that whom you bless is blessed, and whom you curse is cursed. So, down at the foothills are their cousins, these guys whose God's hand is mightily upon. And what do they do? Instead of coming to them, instead of coming and, and saying, you know, hey, we're, we're related, hey guys, you know, tell us about your God. Instead, what do they do? They want to curse them. And so they turn to someone who's a sorcerer, a man by the name of Balaam. His name means devourer. And they 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 turn to him and they want him to come and curse Israel. Now, isn't it interesting? That God's moving mightily now among the children of Israel and those that are around them curse them. There's nothing new under the sun. Amen? When God moves mightily in your life, people are either going to want to know the God you serve or they're going to curse you. They're going to want you to shut up. They're not going to want to hear it. Why do they want to take Bibles out of school? Why do they want to take the crosses down on the side of the road? Why, does it, why do people get bugged so much? Because the cross of Christ is a stone of offense to those who are dying in their sin. And they don't want to see it. Get that negativity scene down, right? You never see anybody wanting to take a hammer to a Buddha. You know, that? you ever notice that? Nobody complains at the Chinese restaurant where they get a big fat Buddha in the, in the window with an orange in its lap. Nobody says anything, right? Nobody. You put a cross up, oh, they put that away, right? Why? Because the cross of Christ is a stone of offense. And we see here that God's using them. They're moving mightily. They're headed to the land of promise. That's like us. And what does the people around them want to do? Destroy them. Curse them. We can't have that around here. You know, instead of wanting to know about God, the true and living God, instead they curse those who follow Him. In times of difficulty, where does our faith turn us? Do you turn to the Lord or do you turn to the world? These guys turned to the world. They went to a guy that they could pay off and say, curse these people for us. And when we go through difficult times, can I encourage you? You've heard me say it before. The Bible says, walk not in the counsel of the ungodly. Amen? We don't need to go to the world's counselors, we know the mighty counselor. Jesus Christ is the mighty counselor, God is the mighty counselor, the Bible says in Psalm 1, why would I run to a man when I could run to the creator of the universe? Now I'm not saying that we don't get biblical counsel from godly people because the Bible says there's wisdom in the counsel of many, I'm not saying that, but what I'm saying is we don't need to go to unsaved people to give us counsel, we, they need our counsel, Amen? We know, we know the creator of the universe. They're dead, and The Bible says they're dead in their trespasses and sins. And so we see here trials come and they turn to the world instead of to the Lord. You want to know God's perfect will for your life? Don't turn to the world in times of difficulty. You turn to the Lord. Amen? In the midst of struggles, in the midst of trials, you turn to the Lord and God will reveal to you His perfect will. Note, typical of those who serve false idols, they seek the cursing and destruction of others. Not their salvation. Now I'm going to shoot straight. well, I know that'll shock you all, but <laughs> the Muslims the Muslims, what are they seeking to do? Destroy. What is Islam all about? Destruction. Now there are, are Muslims that are nice people, but they need Jesus, Amen. OK? But I'm just painting what you know, al Qaeda, all this stuff. What are they all about? It's destruction, right? It's destroy. You know, we're going to have a holy war. And you know what? We don't need a holy war. We need need a holy revival. Amen? We need to see people come to know Jesus Christ. Our God is the God of love and grace and mercy and forgiveness. And not a God of judgment and wrath. He he will judge those who reject Him, but He's a God of love first. Amen? And too often you see that right here they want to destroy those who follow God. And again, there's nothing new under the sun. Those who serve false idols want to destroy These guys are serving false idols and they want to destroy because they serve a dead God and they don't understand eternal life. God's perfect will never includes our tearing down or seeking to harm or destroy others. Jesus' last words were to go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. Amen? Baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. We're to love and have a burden for others, not seek their harm and destruction. They shall know us by the love we have one for another. We should have supernatural love pouring out of us. We should be the most loving people on the planet. Galatians 5.22 says the fruit of the Holy Spirit is what? Love. The rest of it describes that love. Joy, peace, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. That all describes agape that you can only have if you know God. Now these guys don't know God. They They look at the children of Israel and they say, go get Balaam so we can curse these guys. And once we curse them, then we'll be victorious. Look at verse 7 and 8. So the elders of Moab and the elders of Midian departed with the diviner's fee in their hand. And they came to Balaam and spoke to him the words of Balak. And they said to them, Lodge here tonight, and this is is, uh, Balaam speaking, Lodge here tonight and I will bring back word to you as the Lord speaks to me. So the princes of Moab stayed with Balaam. Now first of all, this is not probably a church you want to go to where the elders go and seek a, a soothsayer. That's not good, right? The guys get together and they, gather, they, they get some money together and they're going to go pay off a guy to curse their enemy. Let's go curse the enemy. Let's go get Balaam and, oh, I heard that guy's a real good curser, man. He's good. I remember when he cursed so-and-so, they all died, man. we got to get that guy on our side, right? So let's go pay him some money. He'll come curse people for us. It'll be wonderful, right? What a, you know, praise God. You know, man. Idol worship, not good, right? And so you serve a dead God, you curse people, and they go to get Balaam. Now this is the part that blows me away, and I have to confess to you it's it's almost confusing, because here's how he responds. lodge here tonight, and I will bring back word to you as the Lord, the word there for Lord, Jehovah. Okay, you want me to curse God's people? Let me go ask Jehovah what he thinks. What? Right? I, Balaam, I, that's a question you don't have to ask. By the way, knowing God's perfect will, God will never speak to you contrary to His Word. Amen? And too often people say, well, i got to pray about whether or not I should be dating this unbeliever. No, you don't. You don't, you don't have to pray about that. Because the Bible says, do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. Amen? So you don't have to pray about stuff that's already in God's Word. You don't have to pray about whether or not you should go beat your neighbor up who you're mad at. Right? You don't pray about that. Right? God says don't do that. You know, we say we want to pray about things that are contrary to the word. You want to know God's perfect will? Start with the Bible. Amen? Read the book, don't wait for the movie, know God's word. If you know God's word, it will guide and lead and direct your path. It's a light unto your feet, it's a lamp unto your feet and a light unto your path. And so they go to him, they bring him a diviner's fee. He says, okay guys, you spend the night here and I'm going to go ask Jehovah. So this pagan sorcerer diviner asked them to stay the night while he speaks to Jehovah, the God of Israel. Now, again, there's several reasons why he might have said Jehovah. It could be that because, again, they believe that they have, these diviners have the power over all gods, and they know the God of Israel that he's talking about is Jehovah. It could also be that Balaam has had exposure to Jehovah and has some belief that there is a Jehovah, but as we walk through this, you're going to see that this man, at least in this case, is not a godly man. Verse 9, Then God came to Balaam, and said, who are these men with you? Now, wait a minute. God showed up and spoke to a sorcerer. This guy's known to be a sorcerer and a diviner. Does this make... You read this the first time, it'd be like God speaking to Dionne Warwick in 1900 Psychic, right? You know what I mean? I mean, it's like, wait a minute. What? This guy's a diviner and a sorcerer. Why? Won't that ruin God the credibility... Do you know that this is not the first time or the only time this happens in the Bible? Didn't God come to speak to a man by the name of Abimelech? Didn't he come and speak to the Pharaoh? Remember Pharaoh? Was Pharaoh a godly man or a godless man? Very godless. And did God speak to him in a dream? Yes, he did. What about King Nebuchadnezzar before God got his attention? He had a vision and he had dreams, right? And God was speaking to a godless man. God can speak through a godless man, or as we'll see in a moment, God can speak through a donkey, if he needs to. And Balaam's right there with a donkey, as far as I'm concerned, all right? <laughs> this guy, this guy, again, he's there and he cries out, God speaks to him and he says to him, who are these guys who are with you? Now again, does God know who the men are that are with him? If, does God know? The answer is always yes, amen? If you hear, does God know? Yes, he does. You need him to ask finish the question, all right? God knew, God knows who he is, and he says to him, who are these men? Again, he's checking Balaam's heart, and Balaam turns around, and he answers God, and he tells him who these guys are. And I believe, again, God here is reaching out to Balaam. So Balaam said to God, Balak, the son of Zippor, king of Moab, has sent to me, saying, look, a children has come out of Egypt, and they cover the face of the earth. Come now, curse them, curse them for me. Perhaps I shall be able to overpower them and drive them out. Now he's coming to God and asking God if he can curse his children. What do you think the answer is going to be to this program? Can you imagine someone, come, you know, coming? You know, I got four kids. Those you don't know, someone coming to me. Would it be okay if I curse your kids to death? Let me think. No. And you're going to need a dentist in a minute, right? You know what I mean? Not. Just kidding. Pastor Dave wouldn't do that. But here's the reality. I mean, they come to God and say, can we curse your children? Can I curse your children, Lord? Would it be okay with you if I cursed them to death so they could be attacked? Would it be alright? Now, we're going to see God's response. And we're going to see, again, Balaam's heart. Because he says it's a people, but these are God's children. And it's, again, much, much like asking God today to do something contrary to His word. It's just as foolish when we pray something contrary to the Bible as this question being asked of God, if they could curse His children. It's just as foolish. Look at verse 12. And God said to Balaam, You shall not go with them, go with these men, and you shall not curse the people, for they are blessed. This is God's perfect will. Does He make it pretty clear? You are not to go with them. That should be the end of it. How many times does God need to tell us something before it's the answer? That'd be once. Amen? Too often we want God to, you know, tell us again. Alright, how about if I set a fleece out? Well, how about if I turn it over now? And how about if we do it sideways? And how about if we, you know. And we want God to confirm it 47 times. And faithfulness is saying, God, you're faithful. You're in control. One time is enough. Amen? And so God tells him, that's it. This should be the end of the program. Well, we're going to find out for Balaam. It's not, because this guy's into money. And he gives him clear direction. And how does he give him direction? Through what? What does he do? Through his word. Through his word. Now, they didn't have the Bible then, so He spoke to him directly. And how does God give us direction today? Through His Word. You want direction for your life? Read the Bible. Again, so that God would be clear, He gave Him the Word, and you have the Word in your hand right now. He says, they are blessed. God sees them as they are and as they will be. He doesn't say they will be blessed. They haven't entered into the land of promise, but God knows where they're headed. You know, in God's eyes, we're, we're heaven-bound, amen? It's a done deal. You know, guys, I say that a lot. People say, how you doing, man? Going to heaven. And you know, we need to have that heavenly perspective sometimes. You know, it's easy to get over a flat tire when you realize you're going to heaven. Amen? It's just keeping that eternal perspective in the midst of difficulty. And so, it says there, now watch Balaam's response. And we're already going to see the heart of this guy. So, Balaam arose in the morning, and he said to the princes of Balak, Go back to your land, for the Lord has refused to give me permission to go with you. Does that sound like he's like delivering the word to these guys? It's almost like he's complaining. The Lord won't let me go. It's like one of my kids, right? Yeah, devil won't let me go, yeah, I can't go. I mean, that's kind of how this, and if you look in the original language, it's the Lord won't let me go with you. You better go back. I can't go. Gotta stay home. No fun for me, right? God won't let me do it. He won't let me go and curse his children. I can't figure it out, right? And again, he doesn't say to them, God forbid me to curse his children. And you know what, guys? If I were you, I'd leave them alone. Those are God's kids. Don't mess with them. You know what? Matter of fact, you need to turn to God. But that's not what he says. Instead, he just says, go, because I can't go with you. He didn't say it was forbidden to curse the children. And so look at verse 14. And the princes of Moab rose and went to Balak and said, Balaam refuses to come to us. Now what's interesting is, each time the word gets delivered, there's less of it, right? Right? God tells them, you cannot go, you're forgetting to curse them, they're my children, they're blessed. He turns and just says, I'm, the Lord has forbidden me to come, they get back and they say, he didn't come. They leave the Lord out, right? They leave, they we're not allowed to curse them out, they leave the forbidden part out. Isn't it amazing that as it goes down this telephone line, right, less and less of God's word is in there, and more and more of man's opinion. Watering down of God's word is nothing new. It happens all the time. And again, I, as you guys know, I pray for every church in Santa Cruz County on a weekly basis. I have such a burden to see this place turn right side up, right side up for Jesus Christ, amen? Santa Cruz, Holy Cross, right? But my, one of my prayers is that we, all churches, would be united in not watering down the gospel because we're afraid of hurting somebody's feelings. And there's, there's that, it's an epidemic today. Don't tell people they're sinners. They might not come back to church. Guess what, guys? You're all sinners. Amen? Sinners. And if we don't see that we're sinners, we'll see no need for a Savior. And so if we water it down and dial it down, and again, always do it in love and never self-righteous because we're just one beggar leading another beggar to the bread. But as you see the word being watered down here, the word's being watered down in churches today because we don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. I'll tell you what, it's better to hear you're a sinner and know you need a Savior than to find out on Judgment Day, amen? And again, we need to, with boldness, with love, and, and do it, you know, God loves us. What, did Je- what was Jesus' message? What was John the Baptist's message? What was Elijah's message? What was all- the message of all the prophets? Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Amen? And we don't want to use the word repent. Well, oh, that's, not, that's not politically correct. Tell everybody they're wonderful every week. Well, no, we're not wonderful. Amen? We're sinners in need of a Savior. And if you're in Him, you're wonderful, and you're righteous, and you're holy, but not because of you, but because of Him. Amen? Because he dwells within you. So the words water down here, and it gets back to to Balak. So he's like, Well, we got to fix this. The guy won't come. Let's give him some more money. Let's throw some money at the problem. That will certainly fix it. Give him more money, give him more honor. Look at verse 15 through 17. Then Balak again sent princes, more numerous and more honorable than they. And they came to Balaam and said to him, Thus says Balak the son of Zippor, Please let nothing hinder you from coming to me, for I will certainly honor you greatly and I will do whatever you say to me. Therefore, please come and curse this people for me. I need you to come and swear at these people for me, right? I want you to curse them to death, and I'll give you whatever money you want. I'll give you a raise, whatever it takes. You know, sadly, again, the world often thinks that throwing money at something is the answer to the problem. Ignoring God's word, ignoring God's command, and seeking ungodly counsel, and that's what's happening here. And he's telling them, you know what, I'll give you whatever you need. You know what, the, the enemy's not going to tempt you with something that's not appealing. Did you know that? If it's not appealing, it's not tempting. I used to tell kids in the youth group, you know, guys, God's not going to tempt you with a 1,200-pound toothless woman. It's not going to happen that way, right? Because you'll go, you know, stop, right? It's not going to happen. I know that that woman that tempted Joseph was fine, Potiphar's wife. How do I know? Because he left his coat and ran, right? If she was ugly, give me my coat, right? I mean, it's not a problem for me. And so you're always going to be tempted with that that which will make you fall. And we see here what's happening. He's being tempted, and this is Balaam's area of weakness. We'll see later that he is a covetous man. He's a man who's all about money. And he's like, I'm going to stand with God. No, I can't do it. We'll give you more money. I, I, I don't think I should do it. We'll give you more money. Well, let me think about it a little bit, right? And that's what the enemy will do with us. If the first time doesn't work, just increase the the, the level of temptation. You know, bring something else that will cause us to fall into His plan. And again, look at verse 18. Then Balaam answered and said to the servants of Balak, Though Balak were to give me his house full of silver and gold, I could not go beyond the word of the Lord, my God, to do less or more. He says, my God, and he says, I couldn't possibly do it. Now, doesn't this guy sound like a, a stud? Spiritual stud, right? Right? We've got to keep reading. You're going to find... You know what this really is? You look in the original language, it's like a hint for more money. Even if you filled up an entire house with silver and gold. Could he do that, by the way? If you you filled up an entire house with silver and gold, I have to honor my Lord. You don't understand the level of my commitment here. But those guys really want me. They're coming back with princes. They're offering more money. I just want to see how high this is going to get. Now look at the next verse. Now, therefore, please you also stay here tonight that I may know what more the Lord will say to me. Now wait a minute. Why would you even have to talk about it anymore if you already heard from God and you just made the statement you made in verse 18? I can't go no matter how much money you offer me, but stay one more night and let me think about it. Is this a contradiction in terms? Of course it is. And we see again, knowing God's perfect will in the matter of Balaam should have refused even to consider the offer. As Christians, when we know something is contrary to the word, we shouldn't even have to think about it. We don't have to debate it. We don't have to talk about it. It's, not in God. It's, it's contrary to the word. We can't do that. The answer is no. No, absolutely not. But instead, what happens is the temptation gets greater. With his lips he professed to obey the Lord, but in his heart he coveted the money and hoped God would change his mind. How many of you have ever known that something's contrary to God's will, but you just hope he'd change his mind just for you? Right? I can't tell you how many counseling sessions I've done where people are like, well, Pastor Dave, you understand, my situation's unique. so God wrote the Bible and he forgot about you, right? I mean, so often we think that, yeah, but you know, I know he's not saved, but he's got a nice car. He's really nice. I'm going to bring him to church. No missionary dating either, amen? Don't do that. You want to find someone who loves God more than you do. That's what you want in a relationship. And so we see here that this compromise is there. God's perfect will is according to his word. And again, remember, God's word is not holy handcuffs. God's word is not a, he's not a no fun bummer God with a wheelbarrow for all rules in heaven at the end. He's not trying to keep you from things because he doesn't want you to have any fun. He's a loving and a gracious God. Abba means daddy. And daddy wants what's best for you. Amen. And he gives you the rules because he loves you. And he says, I don't want you to be hurt. Don't play in the freeway. I don't want you to get hit by a bus. I love you. You're my child. And too often we portray the word of God as these holy handcuffs that keep us from doing anything fun. And what's happening here is I'm going to go ask the Lord one more time. Maybe He'll change His mind if I ask Him again. God's will spoken once is enough. May we not tempt God or attempt to circumvent His word. Look at verse 20. And God came to Balaam at night and said to him, "If the men come come to you, come to call you. Excuse me. Rise and go with them. But only the word which I speak to you, that you shall do." Now, this is interesting because you know what this is? There's God's perfect will and his permissive will. What did God tell him? I don't want you to go with him. Has God changed his mind? We're going to find out in a verse. God doesn't change his mind. Did you know that? If he changed his mind, it would mean at some point he was wrong, and God's never wrong. Amen? So he says to him, and he's giving him a test. You know, he comes back to him again. And let, let me tell you this, God will never force himself on you. He's a gracious God. And you can come to him, and he'll let you do what you desire to do, ultimately. He'll give you free will. He's given you free will, and he'll let you do what you want. And he'll come to you, and he'll, in the power of the Holy Spirit, and he'll direct you, and eventually he'll let you do what you want. And so what's happening here is he sees and knows Balaam's heart, and Balaam comes to him, and he says to him, if they come to you in the morning and call you, then you can go. What's God doing? He's saying, Balaam, if they come to you in the morning and call you, you can go. But guess what? Watch the heart of this guy. It's not God's highest. God won't force anybody. If they come and call you, then you can go. But he had dollar signs in his eyes. And look what it does in verse 21. So Balaam, when they came and called him, rose and went left in the morning. What does it say? Did they come and call him? No. Did they show up? No. So is he being obedient to God's word? No. Look what it says. So Balaam rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and went with the princess to Moab. He did, God said, if this happens, then you can go. And if you go, only say what I've told you to say. And he gets up in the morning and goes without, without, without being obedient to the Word of God. We know that God, we're going to see in the next verse, God gets angry with him. Because he's living outside of God's will. He had dollar signs in his eyes. The Bible says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. If your heart and passion is for something other than God's perfect will, you'll come up with a case, an excuse for why it's okay to do what you want. If your passion is for something else, you'll find a reason why it's okay for you to do what you want. We can all do it. We're great at it. And that's exactly what happens here. And again, this is more like eisegesis and exegesis. He's taking his his desire and he's forcing it into what happens around him. Instead of starting with Scripture and obeying it with passion, they start with their passions and try to make it fit into the Bible. And what we need to do is let God's Word be God's Word. Verse 22, so, God's anger was aroused because he went. So, did God want him to go? No. Did he tell him back earlier? He told him, You're not to go. And he went anyway. Why? Because he wanted the money. I'm going to go because there's money waiting for me. When we know God's perfect will and we choose to ignore it and do our own will, the consequences will follow. And we see here God's anger is aroused because he went contrary to his will. Look at verse the rest of 22. And the angel of the Lord took his stand in the way as an adversary against him and he was riding on his donkey and his two servants were with him so he's riding on his donkey and in the middle of this as he's riding along we see again that the angel of the lord is there now when you see the word the angel of the lord and there's some debate on this who who might that be the angel of the lord as Jesus. And I absolutely believe it's Jesus. And I'll tell you why as we go through here in the last few minutes here. You're going to see that it's a picture of Jesus. So Jesus is standing in His way. The angel of the Lord is aroused against Him. But you'll notice again God's grace. God is angry with Him, but God yet again stands in His way to keep Him from going outside of His will. Because of His love for us. Look at verse 23. Now the donkey saw the angel of the Lord standing in the way with His drawn sword in His hand. And the donkey turns aside out of the way and went into the field. So Balaam struck the donkey to turn her back onto the road. Then the angel of the Lord stood in a narrow path between the vineyards with the wall on one side and a wall on that side. And when the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, she pushed herself against the wall and crushed Balaam's foot against the wall. So he struck her again. Then the angel of the Lord went further and stood in a narrow place. And when there was no way to turn, either to the right or to the left, then the donkey saw the angel of the Lord. She lay under Balaam. So Balaam's anger was aroused, and he struck the donkey with his staff. Now, isn't it interesting? What's the donkey trying to do for Balaam? Save his life. And what does the donkey get in response for trying to save Balaam's life? A whooping. You ever feel like that when you're witnessing to somebody? You you know, you're trying to share with them the love of God and all they do is get angry and go off on you, right? That's the donkey right here. The donkey's trying to save his life. Like, dude, do you see the guy with the flaming sword up there? I'm thinking this is not the direction we want to go. And he moves aside. I'm taking you out of here, right? And he gets what? Drive right back. And so we see here that the donkey is trying to save his life. But you know what? When we're out of God, outside of God's will, so often we're totally blind to the Lord. We don't see Him. We don't hear Him anymore. Amen? When you get outside of God's will, you know, when you're walking, you know when you're walking so close to God, you can hear Him whisper. You know what I'm talking about? Holy Spirit speaks to you and you're right there. Then you rebel against God and He's yelling at you and you can't hear Him because you've walked away and you're in rebellion. That's where He is. He's blind to what's right in front of Him. Now this gets comical. Watch this. This is hilarious. He starts whooping on the donkey, verse 28. Then the Lord opened the mouth of the donkey, and she said to Balaam, what have I done to you that you should strike me these three times? And Balaam said to the donkey, now this cracks me up. If a donkey starts talking, I'm thinking a conversation is probably not where I'm headed. Right? The donkey's like, dude, what did I ever do to you? Well, you know what? You've been a bad donkey. (laughs) Look what it says here. So Balaam said to the donkey, because you've abused me, I wish that there was a sword in my hand so I could kill you. Okay? So the donkey said to Balaam, am I not your donkey on which you have ridden ever since I became yours on this day? Was I ever disposed to do this to you? And he said no. He's carrying on a conversation with a donkey. God speaking through a donkey. You know, it's interesting. The Bible says that if we don't worship him, the rocks will cry out his name. And I believe that God will use whatever means are necessary to reach people. Amen? Now, it's our privilege to do it, but God can do and do it without us. We don't need him. He doesn't need us. We need him. Amen? And it's a privilege to be used by him. And living contrary to God's will, you've got a hard heart. I mean, if donkey starts talking, I think I'd be looking up or something. Okay, Lord, all right. I, I, you know, I missed you back there. I, I repent, right? And he doesn't see and he doesn't understand, but look what happens. We're almost done here. Verse 31. Then the Lord opened Balaam's eyes, and he saw the angel of the Lord standing in the way with his drawn sword in his hand, and he bowed his head and fell flat on his face. This is again while I believe it's Jesus. You know what? Who appeared to Saul of Tarsus on the road to Damascus? Jesus. He became Paul. What happened to him? He fell flat on his face. More than lightly he was riding a donkey. So he fell off his high donkey, and so did, so did Balaam, right? And he fell off his donkey, and he fell on his face because he's in the presence of the Creator of the universe. Again, he fell on his face because he was outside of God's will. And look what it says here. And the angel of the Lord said to him, Why have you struck your donkey these three times? Behold, I have come out to stand against you, because your way is perverse before me. He didn't say to him, That's okay. He he corrected him. He said, "You're, you're walking contrary to my will. And you know what? That's what the Holy Spirit does for us today. When we sin, the Holy Spirit brings us back into right fellowship with God. Aren't you glad the Holy Spirit lives inside of you? Because the Holy Spirit comforts you, but He also convicts you out of God's love for you to bring you back into right fellowship. And look what he says here. I want you to see this. He says in that verse, your way is perverse before what? Before me. It doesn't say your way is perverse before God. He says your way is perverse before me. Jesus talking. And it, would an angel say that? Your way is perverse before me? You think that would happen? Do you think when he fell on his face, if it was an angel, just a normal angel, would the, what would the angel say? Get up. Don't worship me, right? Amen. But he receives the worship and he says your ways are perverse before me. Jesus meets him on the road to rebellion. And you know what? He does that with people today. People are in rebellion. The Lord appear, comes to them because He loves them. And He died for them. And He desires to have that intimate relationship with them. Verse 33 and 34. The donkey saw me and turned aside from me three times. If she, said she, if she had not turned aside from me, I would have me, I would also have killed you by now and let her live. So the donkey was saving his life, not hers. He wasn't going to kill the donkey. Verse 34. And Balaam said to the angel of the Lord, I have sinned. For I did not know you stood in the way against me. Now therefore, if it displeases you, I will turn back. Now again, this looks like repentance. But we're going to see the fruit of it is not repentance in the end. You know what? We can repent because we're broken. And we can say we're sorry because we got caught. And those are two different things. Amen? I got busted. Oh, I better apologize. It's a different thing to be broken over your sin and come before God and seek His will. Verse 35, The angel of the Lord said to Balaam, Go with the men, but only the word which I speak to you, that you will speak. So Balaam went with the princes of Balak. Now wait a minute, why did he let him continue on? And you know what, this is a picture again of God's permissive will. Maybe you're here tonight, and you know that you missed God earlier in life. That God had a different calling for your life, and you just flat out missed Him. You were in rebellion, you walked away from the Lord. I've told you this before, you can take a million steps away from God, and what? It's only what? It's only what? One step back, and it truly is. You can take a million steps away, it's one step back. But I want you to see here, I believe this should be an encouragement to us in pursuing God's perfect will, that even if we've blown it, God can still use us. Amen? And isn't that a good thing? Because if if that were not true, He couldn't use any of us because we've all blown it. Amen? And so we see here that He says, okay, you missed me, I'm going to let you go, but now I want you to speak my word when you get there. You're outside of my will. You shouldn't have been with these guys to begin with. But now that you're going, I want you to be obedient to me from this point forward. 36 and 37. Now when Balak heard that Balaam was coming, he went out to meet him in the city of Moab, which is in the border of Arnon, the border of the territory. And Balak said to Balaam, did I not earnestly send to you, calling for you? Why did you not come to me? Am I not able to honor you? Again, Balak looks at things from a temporal point of view. And he says to Balaam, look, I sent for you a long time ago. Didn't you think I was going to pay you? Didn't you know how much I offered you? What took you so long to get here? Again, Balak looking at things from a, a physical perspective. Am I not able to honor you? Verse 38, and Balaam said to Balak, look, I have come to you. Now I, I ha, have I any power to you at all to say anything? The word of God, the word that God puts in my mouth, that I must speak. He says, do I have any power to say anything to you? The words that God speaks to me, those I will speak. Now notice again, you have a head-on collision with Jesus Christ. It's going to change your attitude at least for a while. It should for a lifetime though, amen? But we're going to see here, sadly, in a, in a couple of chapters, that it's going to wear off. But Bala, Balaam, fresh from a face-to-face meeting with the Lord, a near-death experience, is initially faithful to God. But you know what, guys? Faith cannot come from fear. Faith must come from, from a, a heart of compa- a love for God, amen? If you obey him because you're, af- now we should have godly fear, but if you obey him because you're afraid of him, it will wear off. But if you obey him because you're in love with him, it will last. Amen? It's a get-to to serve God. As a youth pastor, I used to ask kids, is, is, you know, are you married to Jesus? Because the Bible says that we're his bride. Amen? He should be our best friend. Not some faraway, distant God, but my best friend. He loves me. And so last few verses here, and this will set us up for next week. Verse 39, So Balaam went with Balak, and they came to Kirjath-Huzoth. Then Balak offered oxen and sheep, and he sent some to Balaam and to the princes who were with him. So again, he sent the entrails for him to look at and prophesy over. That's what he did. And then after he did that, they feasted on the rest. And then lastly, so it was the next day that Balak took Balaam and brought him up to the high places of Baal. And from there, he might observe the extent of the people. You know what? While walking in god's permissive will look where he ends up he ends up in a place of idol worship and you know what if we're walking in god's permissive will as opposed to his perfect will we're going to end up in places where we shouldn't be if he had listened to the lord he wouldn't even be here amen if he just stayed home when god told him but he knew better and he was greedy for money and he wanted to go for it and he went and now look where he is we're going to see next week that he's surrounded by this this place of idol worship And he's going to be summoned to curse God's people that he cannot do. And he puts himself in a bad situation. And you know what? If you're seeking God's perfect will, here's four keys, real quick. Number one, and we saw these all in the text, intimacy with the Lord. You cannot minister for the Lord unless you're ministering to the Lord first. Amen? If you're not ministering to the Lord, you cannot minister for the Lord. Too often we try to do ministry in our own flesh. You know what? You need to have that intimate love relationship with God so He's just pouring right out of you what He's given to you. Amen? Amen? A natural outpouring. What happened when Balaam ran into Christ? His life changed. Amen? Now, sadly, as we're going to see, it doesn't stay. But we, ours can, coming face to face with the Lord. Number two, we need to tr- trust God's Word, not question or challenge it. God's Word applies to you. Amen? Sixty-six books, 40 authors, three continents, three languages, 1,500 years, one central theme, no contradictions. How is that possible? God wrote it. Amen? And we need not to downplay his word, we need not to deny his word or water it down. The Bible is the authority. The Bible says he elevates his word above all of his name. Why does he do that? Because Jesus, to the New Age movement, is the most elevated guru. To the Jehovah's Witnesses, Jesus is the brother of Michael the Archangel. Or he is Michael the Archangel. To the Mormons, he is the brother of whom? Of Satan. And that's why he elevates his word above all of his name. Because when we see the Jesus of the Bible, that is Jesus. Amen? Amen? And that makes sure that we know who, the Jesus, who Jesus is. And so we should not challenge or question God's Word, but we should follow it passionately. Obey it with our whole heart. Don't look for a loophole in the Bible. I really want to do There's got to be a verse. There's got to be. There's a big book right here. There's got to be one that says I can do this, right? I've had people do that. No, don't do that. Thirdly, don't allow your will or your circumstances to blind you to, to the Lord's voice. Don't allow your circumstances to be so overwhelming that you don't hear God anymore. That's what happened to Balaam. He was he was heading on the donkey, man. I'm going. God said, "Don't go." I'm going anyway. There's money down there. There's a flaming sword standing in front of him. I'm going anyway. What happened? We take our eyes onto our circumstances, or we're striving for the things of the world. We get our eyes off of God. You want to pursue God's will, have intimacy with the Lord, trust His word, and don't allow your circumstances to blind you to God's voice. And lastly recognize temptation for what it is. Temptation is a tool of the enemy. Satan will never tempt you to make you more godly. Amen? But as you endure temptation, you will become more godly. Amen? As you endure trials, you will grow through them. So, if a donkey talks to you this week, please come tell me because I want to hear about that. (laughs) But here's the good news. God can use a donkey, so that means God can use me. Amen? And God can use you. He can use us all. And you know what? The eyes of the Lord search to and fro among the whole, holder, seeking one and show himself strong on account of. God's looking for a man or a woman who'll just say, Lord, use me. That's a prayer He'll answer every single time. Amen? May we be men and women who God uses. May we be available. May we pursue Him with a passion. May we seek after His perfect will. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You and praise You for Your Word. And we thank You, Lord, just for the example in the text today of of, again, your continued mercy and grace, even when Balaam was in the midst of rebellion. We thank you, Lord, that even though we sin, even though we blow it, Lord, that you love us. And that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. You didn't die for the perfect, but you died to redeem sinners like us. Help us, Lord, to to walk in your perfect will. Help us to be men and women who seek out truth in your word and obey it. Help us to be men and women who have intimate fellowship with you and are led by your spirit. Help us to be men and women who, who, again, don't allow our circumstances to cause us to turn away from your word and pursue the world. And, Lord, help us to re- realize what temptation is, to see it for what it is, and to turn to you in those times of difficulty. Lord, I thank you and praise you for each person who's here. Help us, Lord, to be salt and light to Santa Cruz County. Lord, bring revival here, and may it start in our hearts first. In Jesus' name we pray, and all God's people said, amen. amen. Let's stand and close the worship song.